From Relay FM, this is Connected, episode number 86. Today's show is brought to you by Memories and Arc. My name is Mike Hurley. I'm joined by Mr. Stephen Hackett and Mr. Federico Fatici. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Hey, what's up? How are we all today? I'm I'm uh, currently on the upswing of a caffeine rush, so... Oh, you call that caffeine, come on. What? Come on, then. Give it to me. Come on. All right. I made myself an ice latte using an AeroPress. I'm going to put a picture in the show notes of the setup that you I You see, had going all on. those words are unnecessary. You should have just made coffee. Not an ice latte with. What does it even mean? Well, what is coffee to you then? You just straight from the source espresso. Yes. Right. So, but you're having an espresso, aren't you? It's a different thing. Mm. You, you use too many words for a beverage, Mike. This is like, so later we're going to talk about pizza, right? And in <laughs> oh the pizza god, scenario... We, oh my god. In the pizza scenario, Why? lots of people agree with you, right? And they're, they're like, uh, pineapple is crazy and all that stuff. But I feel like, you know, you can't go around dissing the AeroPress, I'm afraid. You're going to get nerd rage. No, I know, I know, I know. But I, I feel like I have a very strong... Um, Let's see, team of fellow Italians who you know are very, very much in 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 line with my thinking. So you know, my country is behind me, Mike. I don't doubt that at all. That sounds vaguely threatening, Federico. <laughs> <laughs> there are many people, wink, wink, in Italy, wink, wink, <laughs> who won't be happy with what you've just said. You better. It's a nice coffee you got there. Be a shame if you lost it. <laughs> Okay, I just I just don't know how we turned into uh, the podcast about pizzas and coffee, but I like it. You know, I like it. So sounds good to me. We'll see what it takes us. That that is how it goes. But before we get to pizza, we do have some of a follow up to address. Yes, we do. And as keeper of the follow up, I will guide us through it, uh, whatever may come our way. We spoke about the iMac last week. Actually, I spoke about the iMac last week because. Uh, I threw some thoughts in. You threw some in. Federico just went and got a cup of coffee. Um, but uh, so yeah, so we talked about the iMac, and we had some interesting follow up uh, about the name. Uh, and basically, this email sort of outlined a world in which Apple would unify their naming, so it could they would drop the i basically. So it'd be Mac, Mac Mini, Mac Pro, MacBook, blah 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 blah. My feeling on this is that I like the symmetry and. Uh, I could see a world where Apple would like the symmetry, but iMac has been a brand since 1998. And I really think that, uh, you know, it, back in like the you know early 2000s, the i prefix really stuck out more, right? You had the iBook, you had iLife. It was, it was sort of more of a meme. And now at least the way I look at it is I look at the word iMac as just one word. I don't, I don't really view the i as a prefix to anything anymore. And I think that it's aged better than Mac OS X has aged as a as a name as a as a branding uh, branding thing. But um, we'll see. I guess. What do you guys think? So the I is is gone, right? Like they don't use it anymore. They uh, Apple have pushed the I away, and they've basically replaced it with Apple, like the Apple logo. Um, right. You know, Apple TV and Apple Watch, etc. Uh, I do see a world in the not-too-distant future, I think maybe within five years or so, that they start dropping the I from product names. 
and just rename things. Um, I understand that, like, you know, I've said this before. I remember saying this once before on the show and you two got really uh, aggressively upset at me. I think that at some point they will just call the phone the Apple phone, but it needs some kind of shift. Uh, I just don't think that I will continue. And, and I think something that Apple have always hated is all of the products that are called I something. And other people can't call their thing Apple something because of all the trademarks that they have. Like, you just wouldn't be able to do that. So that's where I think that they're going to go. But I still think we're multiple years away from that. But Apple phone is so terrible. <laughs> oh, I name. know. Yeah, but so is iPhone. Like, when you really <laughs> sit down and think about it, like, iPhone is is a not a good name. It's just the name that it is. I think the name has become bigger than it is, right? The, yeah. It, it, is, it is just a word that we associate with the thing it's not yeah and that's what apple phone would be right like i don't think that we all recoil when we say apple tv anymore like when they first announced it people were like oh man itv was a much better name i don't know but apple phone makes you more of a phone as iphone does i don't know if it makes any sense i do also think that prob maybe it's a certain point that it won't be called phone anymore either uh, I don't think they're going to change the name of the world's most successful product. I think, well, I'm not saying that Apple is going to be doing this, but like in the future that we're not going to be calling these things phones anymore. Like, well, sure. Who I mean, maybe, does any phone stuff these days? I, like most of the time when people call me, I answer on my iPad because I'm at home and it's connected to the Wi-Fi or <laughs> I just ignore the call. I, I just think that going into the future a lot of this naming stuff will change. We'll see. Uh, Maybe it's just a coffee token. Yeah, I think you're just hyped up. <laughs> so anyways, uh, an interesting idea. I, for one, vote against it. Uh, Mike, you have many iPads and many thoughts about your many iPads. Yeah, uh, I didn't get as many people calling me crazy as I thought I was going to get. You did get some strong opinions about people well, telling yeah. you how you should manage your money. There was, that, was there was one guy. There was there was one person. Uh, I don't need to go into that right now. Uh, but, but mostly, I've had a lot of people this week tell me that they're considering this multi-iPad life. Um, and I just wanted to share some thoughts, having now used two, two, like dual-wielding dual iPads for a week. So using the 9.7-inch iPad really makes me value the size of the 12.9. Every time I pick up the 12.9 now, I'm like, oh, look how big this screen is. Like, it feels impossibly large every single time, which is great. Um, actually, using both of them makes me like the other one more as well, which is strange. Um, because I'm starting to use them for very different things. The 9.7 is where I do a lot of reading and catching up on stuff. And then the 12.9 is where I actually sit down and do some work, which is quite nice for me because I'm I'm doing some more mode shifting um, like mentally about when I'm working and when I'm just like not working, just like tooling around. So that's quite nice. And I'm trying to find ways to kind of expand that a little bit more, um, maybe going a little bit closer to some of the stuff that Gray's doing with his iPads. Uh, the smart keyboard on the 9.7 does something that makes me very uncomfortable. Like when you put it into the standing mode, you know, like you flip it around and it becomes a stand. The iPad mm -hmm. is basically vertical. 
Like it doesn't go back at all. It's like you stand yeah. it up and it's like straight up and it freaks me out every single time that it's just going to go smash right onto the front. Uh, I don't know why it's like that. The smart keyboard on the 12.9 is, it has way too much slack so it goes back too far and then the 9.7 doesn't go back at all which is really very peculiar. Um, I'm trying to just kind of work out where these things fit in my life but I really do like the 9.7 inch. Uh, I love True Tone. You know, the display on this thing is insane. The colors are amazing. The True Tone is amazing. Like, it's by far and away the best screen that I've ever used on an iOS device. Can uh, you explain that to me, Mike? Because I've seen so many people yeah. talking about the display. And it's, I mean, it's just slightly adjusting colors. Is that really a big deal? So there is an increase in the color gamut, right? And there are certain things where I look at them. Like, for example, when I look, every time I look at my home screen... It's like I've never seen a home screen look like that before. There's just something about the screen where it's like, this just looks amazing. All of the icons look better. My wallpaper looks better. It just You look at it and you just get the sense of like, there is something different here and I'm not sure what it is. And it's the increase of color that it has. Um, like there is this thing that Jason was telling me that he, he spoke to someone at Apple about where... Uh, there is a uh, an American sports team that has an orange jersey. I can't even remember the name of them. But the color of the jersey that it is, if you look at it on, an reg- on any other iPad other than the 9.7, you see it, but it's not the correct color. Only the 9.7-inch iPad can show the correct color of that jersey because of the type of orange that it is. Hmm. Which is just a funny thing. And that sort of stuff I don't think is too important to so many people, like how many colors the thing can produce. But what I'm finding for me is that I'm seeing a result, which is a screen that looks nicer than any other screen that I've used. And mm. True Tone, like for everything that I like Night Shift about, I love for True Tone as well, because it does a greater job of making things calmer on the eyes um, and and I'm really enjoying reading stuff on the 9.7 for that reason it's nicer to look at for longer periods of time. Would you say True Tone is just as important as the Retina display was when it, when it launched? <sighs> no, I mean Retina Retina was an incredible jump that we couldn't have imagined Right? Like that a mm-hmm. screen could look that good. True Tone builds on the quality of the screen and the colors that it can produce and night shift. Like it builds on those together and makes things more comfortable, but it doesn't really enhance the use of the iPad in, in any way. Like Got the it. Retina okay. displays really push them forward, and yeah. True Tone just makes the already great display more comfortable to look at. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. So that's kind of where I am with it right now. I'm totally keeping the 9.7. I'm going to buy another pencil for it. like So I've got everything all set up. I, I love it. And I'm really enjoying using both of them. And the more I've been, the more I've been using this, kind of the analogy that I'm going to settle on is it's just like having my desktop and my laptop. And I used, I used to use those for different things. And that's kind of how I'm using this now. Like So for example, in the morning when I wake up, I pick up the 9.7, I catch up on Twitter, I catch up on Slack, I, you know, will maybe read some articles or stuff that I want to get, and then when I get out of bed and get ready for work, I pick up the 12.9, and that's when I start doing email and invoicing and show prep and all that sort of stuff. So, it's working well for me. I like it. I know it's incredibly indulgent, but I like it. 
I have questions for you, Mike. All right, I want them. So the first thing I want to know is, do you multitask on the 9.7 with split view? In a totally different way. So okay. in the 12.9, it's very unlikely that I don't have two apps open at once. Like just most of the time I'll have two apps open at once because so many apps full screen just don't need to be full screen. Like for example, mm. Tweetbot in full screen on the 12.9, it's just, it's, just, it's just too big. You don't need it. Right. Um, so I usually will have Slack open at the same time or something or messages or notes, something. I'll typically will have something there. The same with Slack. Like I don't need to see that other panel all the time. So I'll typically have something open. Same with email, like loads of these apps, they're like, it's great that you can, that they're full screen and they're big, but most of the time you don't need that, so I have more apps open at once. On the 9.7, I use split screen, but I use it for a thing and then go back to full screen. So for mm-hmm. example, I might want to say something to somebody in Slack and I'm in Tweetbot, I'll open Slack, I'll put them into split screen, I'll say what I need to say, wait for a reply, say what I need to say, and then when I'm done, I will then close Slack and go back to full screen on Tweetbot, which is something I don't do on the 12.9 because it's just too small everything's too small um, but I actually quite like the keyboard I make less mistakes on the 9.7 inch keyboard than I do on the 12.9 hmm. so the other the other thing I want to know Mike is after having a smaller iPad again have you noticed aspects of iOS 9 that you maybe didn't notice when you were using the bigger iPad Pro i notice things that are better on the iPad Pro. <laughs> so like uh, notification center is way better on the iPad Pro. On the on the bigger one. Yeah, because it's always got the two pane, no matter mm-hmm. whether you're portrait yeah. or landscape. But when you go into portrait on the 9.7, it shows all of the widgets in one view, which is not what I want. Because um, I like the kind of the split screen view um, on the 12.9. Uh, the iOS home screen is way better looking on the 9.7. I mean, we know this, but yeah. it makes me realize how ridiculous it looks on the 12.9. Um, but other than that, it really does feel to me like like iOS 9 was built for the 12.9-inch iPad, not the 9.7. Mm-hmm. Just because all of the big benefits make more sense with more screen, more screen real estate. Mm. My, my last question, Mike, is I want to know, Since you, now you have two iPads, have you, you, have you found yourself using the smaller iPad Pro and doing things, uh, talking to people, doing research, I don't know, and while you're doing them, you think, I should do this on the, on the bigger iPad Pro, but now I'm using this one and I don't want to switch. I'm trying to understand if there's a pressure in switching constantly between devices that you maybe didn't know was there. There's not a pressure, but there are times where I'm like, I get into something, I'm like, ah, this would be better on the other one, and then I just pick up the other one. Okay. Right? Because it works for me. It, actually, in quite a lot of instances, they're both kind of in the same place. Um, I've used them, you know, I was talking about the dual display thing last time. I've used them like that. So like I'm working on something and I have both of them there so I can look at two different things that I need to look at or three things or four things that I need to look at at once. I've used them for that, which is good. But it, it, I, I get what you're saying. I don't feel pressure, but there are times where I'm like, I'm just going to switch from one to the other and then I will just switch from one to the other. Mm-hmm. And that's working, that's, working out, that's working out fine, in all honesty. Like I'm, I'm kind of okay with the way that that is fitting for me. 
Um, there is one other little thing that I wanted to mention, which is something that I'm still trying to work on, but I haven't I haven't fixed this yet. Uh, is is managing the iPads? What so, do you mean? Like managing? we're going to talk about Telegram in a bit, right? Um, and I installed Telegram on one of my iPads, and then was later on thinking about oh, there's I'm wait, waiting on a reply and it's not coming through here. It's because I didn't have it installed on the other one. Oh, okay, yeah. Right, so it's like, I don't, I've been thinking about maybe playing around of automatic downloads a little bit and seeing how that might work. Um, but it's just, I'm I'm noticing that I'm having to, to, to maintain them. And, and I don't know if that's going to be a problem long term because I'm still kind of, I'm still in that like setup mode. Like I set up the 9.7 you know? <laughs> from fresh. You know what you should do? <laughs> you should manage your iOS devices like a school. And use the MDM tool. <laughs> There's a use for your Mac Mini server right there. Because <laughs> I was, I was, I suggested this to Gray once, and he wasn't interested. But I mean, we we've had Bushel as a sponsor of the show before, and this is what they do. And I've thought about looking at it, right? Because it seems like just an easy way to to manage a couple of devices. I might do. I'm gonna if it's if this continues to be a problem and something like automatic downloads doesn't work, then I'm gonna look at some like one of these MDM tools. Because I feel like I could maybe hack around with that and get what I want out of it. I'm deep, you, man. I'm deep into this now. Yeah, uh, I was gonna. I was gonna ask kind of one. It's more of a hypothetical follow-up question potentially. Um, but say that you travel or go work at a co-working space or something like that. Which iPad do you take? Do you take both? Like, how do you see that playing out? in sort of uh, situations where you're not at home at your desk. So this is something that I was considering when I originally bought the thing, right? Which is why I put Solier on it. So I'm about to leave for Atlanta. Um, and I have to bring my MacBook with me because I have some shows that I'll need to edit on the way. But I am only going to bring the 9.7 because in that scenario, I'm not going to be needing to do much work while I'm away, really, like because I'm going to be busy with stuff at the pen show. And this one is lighter and it's smaller, so I'm just going to bring that one. It makes more sense to me in this scenario, but let's say that I wasn't taking the MacBook with me, I would take only the 12.9 because then I don't need to worry about weight or size because I've only got one device. So I'm I'm trying to just work out what the better pairings are, but for this trip, I'm just going to take the 9.7. Okay. It's weird. It's weird. And I know people think it's weird because it is weird. But I really do feel like like you did, Federico. Like I am on the cusp of understanding what I believe the future of computing to be. Whether I'm mm. right or wrong, I don't really think that matters because I'm not trying to tell people what's right and wrong. But I'm working out what's right for me, and I think that this is the future of computing for me. Don't you dare, Mike. I know. Find something that works for you and share it <laughs> online. <laughs> Too late. Buy all the iPads. You should have you should have big disclaimers. This is my personal opinion, you know. And it is. Put them, wow. put them in your in your in your podcasts. This and is your like, articles. you know. I'm trying to say, and you know what? In all honesty, like I've kind of been saying that, and people haven't really been freaking out at me as much as I expected that they would, um, because I appreciate that that owning and using two iPads is kind of bonkers. Um, but I, I really do think that it makes sense. 
once you give in to the fact that you can do your work from iOS, once you give in to that fact, and for a lot of people it is giving in to that fact, and you realize that what you can, the majority of what you can do, or all you can do, say, say in somebody like Federico's case, you can do all of that stuff on, on the iOS if you just give the time to learn it. I think that this system starts to make sense. My goal for the next six months is to convince Federico to buy another iPad. <laughs> why? Why is this such a such a personal goal of yours? I think now, right before it was a joke, right? Okay, but now I am Still living is. this joke. <laughs> I think that it is something that you would enjoy. Uh, see, I asked you about the pressure of switching devices, and I asked you because it's something that I imagine I would be, I would have a problem with. Um, already, I'm finding myself sometimes wondering. I'm using my 6S Plus and I'm doing things and I wonder, should I maybe pick up the, the iPad and just do it on the iPad? And if, uh, and if it's already happening with my phone and the iPad, imagine adding another iPad to the mix and what would happen there? I think it's part of just the what you eventually do, like what I'm doing, is understanding where that task should be done. And and once you kind of have an idea for that, it's great. But the the good thing about those two devices, those two iPads, is they're both perfectly capable to do anything that you can do on the other one. It's just where does it feel nicer to do it? Mm, I don't know. I don't know because I would go crazy with setting up the the same layouts for the mm -hmm. home screen, the same apps, the same updates. I would I I would really have a problem there, Mike. Like I would be. I, I, I don't well, know. So this I, is my thing, right? I'm now going to try and solve this problem, right? So I'm going to try and find a way that, you, that this works, this management of these multiple devices. That's why I'm giving myself six months because I still, I still have to, to work out what is, the, uh, what is the right way to go around this because I think that you would benefit from this because of how much you move around, for example. Mm. Um, so, you know. So what happens in six months? So you gave yourself six months for the iPad or to convince me? To convince you. Oh, so you have six months to I convince me. six months me. to convince you. And who told you that six months is enough? I feel like you just got to set a date on these things. Because if I said forever on an infinite time scale, you probably will do it. <laughs> right? So I've got I've to set a limit on these things and I've set six months. Do, do you have like a schedule, like a timeline? Like the first month you're going to try a strategy, the second month you're going to try another one? Um, Not yet. I've literally just set the goal, so... Oh, okay, so right now. <laughs> I, I have some work to do. Okay. Well, we'll see. I mean, well, you have uh, so six months until October, Mike. I have until October. Okay. Kyle, if you're out there, set up a calendar event. <laughs> you know he's going to do you're, it. You're the arbiter in this You one. know he's going to do it. Yeah, exactly. I know that if anyone's going to do it, he'll be the one to do it, so I'll ask him to take care of it for me. This week's episode is brought to you by Memories. Everybody that listens to this show, I expect will remember when the Everpix flashback feature went away. We all loved that. You know, if you go back to the prompt days, we used to talk about Everpix and we used to fawn over the flashbacks that we used to receive. And then Everpix went away and Picture Life kind of took that feature and ran with it. And now Picture Life, I don't think people are like it so much. And there are a bunch of other systems and services that try to do this. But now you have an app called Memories for iOS, which gives you that feature 
for iCloud Photo Library. It will show you all of the photos that you've taken on the same date as the day that you're looking, grouped together by years, so you're able to travel back in time and revisit old photos that you might otherwise not ever see again. I think a lot of people listening to this show have settled on iCloud Photo Library as their method for storing their photos because it's built into all of our devices, and I think we're all pretty convinced that Apple's going to keep doing this. We're not worried that they're going to explode into a puff of smoke like Everpix did. So this is why something like Memories is a good option. You'll get a notification each day to tell you how many memories you have that day and quickly see them in a lovely Today View widget as well if you just want to get that quick boost uh, of nice photos. If you want to see past photos from another date, you simply select the date in their date picker, swipe up to down as well to see memories for a different date. It's all very beautifully presented. Memories makes it easy to then share these photos, and if you've come across photos you'd rather forget, it's easy to remove them too. You can check it out and learn more at memories.land slash connected. They have one of those cool URLs, memories.land slash connected. Thank you so much to Memories for their support of this very program. All right, so um, we've spoken about my ridiculous buying habits, so let's talk about Stephen's ridiculous hoarding habits. Uh, (laughs) How many iMacs do you own now? Because it looks like in the last week there has been some serious progression on this. There has been some serious progression. So let me – I was actually pulling up the note during your ad read. Let's see. Um, So I I think since last time we spoke, uh, Tangerine – and a ruby showed up. Uh, I have a blueberry on the way, and I have a graph a graphite uh, as well. But it's got some weird, like visual issues that I'm trying to work through. So I don't know if that one's going to stick or not. But um, so yeah, so I'm getting close. So all I have left is a Bondi blue, a snow, and a blue Dalmatian, which uh, I'm actually picking up this weekend. So. So really, just Bondi, Blue, and Snow, then? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, as far as I know, the Blue Dimension is all settled up, so... Well, because the Graphite one, I mean, they don't need to really work, do they? Well, no, and, and in fact, the Ruby doesn't have a power supply inside, but um, the Graphite had some... <laughs> the, the person I got this from is finding this out as they listen to the show, so sorry. <laughs> um <laughs> It had some Apple stickers on the side that I, I was able to get off, but it discolored the plastic pretty badly. So, uh, mm. I mean, the idea is that I'll, I want all these visually to be in good shape. So the graphite may end up um, getting swapped out. Although I have somebody in my inbox who I think has a graphite. So, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm at the end, basically. I'm very close to the end. I feel like Bondi Blue was one of the really popular colors. Why is yeah. this one proving so hard to find? Uh, well, so Bondi Blue is interesting. Again, asterisk interesting to me um bondi blue was the first imac and when they went to five colors they replaced bondi blue with blueberry which unless they're side by side you can't like in pictures you can't tell the difference but side by Mm. side blueberry is slightly different and so it looks like if you're just perusing ebay it looks like there's a lot of bondi blues but in reality it's only that first generation machine that was only for sale for like seven months or something um and so, a, I don't know how many people like jumped on the first iMac G3. Like, uh, I don't, ha- I can't find sales figures anywhere. So, part of my part of me thinks that maybe it was like the first MacBook Air of like it was the future, right? Like, you got rid of my ADB ports and I have USB and there's no floppy drive. And so, uh, my impression of someone who was around during this time, <clears throat> Jason, uh, could enlighten me. It'd be great. 
But my thought is the Bonnie Blue didn't do very well, or for some reason, like mm. in searching for these things, it's been harder to find than I expected. So I don't know. Like I said last time, a lot of people have the later ones of like graphite, snow, indigo. Um, those are those have been easier. So, uh, so I don't know. It's uh, I've discovered all sorts of interesting little things here. And like I said, like I said last time, I've heard from a lot of people sharing their stories of like their first Macs and a lot of people's first Macs were their, their, uh, an iMac G3. And, um, I've gotten even more emails sort of in that vein this week of, you know, people saying, Hey, you know, I've got this, um, you know, this iMac and I would give it to you, but it's the one, you know, that I use in school and it's important to me, but I want to share photos of it with you or share my story. And so that's been really fun to, um, to hear about that sort of stuff. I mean, it was a computer that made an impact on a lot of people just this weekend I moved them into my office because uh, there was a lot of iMacs to have in my house and uh, someone up here in the building even remarked that she remembered using them in school and it was like the first computer she used in school and she's a Mac user now and um, so even just like hauling them in from my car into the office there's been a little chance for people to like share their uh, their story with it so uh, that's fun and I hope to capitalize that in the video projects of you know, this is um, a machine that a lot of people remember fondly. Do you know what would be kind of cool to perform some some kind of ritual? Once you have all of the IMAX, you, you put them on the ground, on the floor, you form a circle, and you put a person in the middle, like a PC user, and then you convert them to, to, the, to the Mac operating system. It would be kind of creepy and awesome at the same time. <laughs> well, like some kind of ritual. <laughs> Well, there you go. Uh, I was going to say something else, but now I, uh, it's gone. It's gone from my brain forever. Uh, so thank you for that, Federico. I now remember what it was. When, when I was 16, uh, I had work experience, and part of my work experience, I was working at this... Um, I, I don't really know what it was, like a computer center for schools that didn't have computer classes. Uh, mm. So schools from around this like neighborhood would come there, and basically it was like they had like sixty iMacs. And my job while I was there was I was uh, one of the jobs that I had to perform was to install a new version of OS ten on all of them with CDs. Fun times, yeah. You, I feel like that's something you would have loved. Yeah, I I think I've told the story before, but I um at the college newspaper we had a couple iMac G threes or the high school newspaper, excuse me, and. We upgraded from OS 9 to OS 10, and then I decided, like, oh, we should have the same fonts on all the machines. And I, of course, didn't know anything about user permissions or user library versus system library. And so I copied all these font files around and basically uh, broke <laughs> OS 10 on, like, three iMac G3s. And the, uh, like, the school district, like, IT person, she was at our school a couple days a week and went to some other school. Um, she came and got it fixed. And she was, I remember very clearly... She, her getting onto me for doing this, but then explaining why what I had done was a bad decision. And she didn't have to do that, right? Like she could have just fixed it or, you know, told me not to touch it. But like to this day, like that interaction I had with her, like shaped a lot of the ways that I try to deal with technology with people who aren't as well versed in it as I am. It's like, Hey, this is what happened. This is why it would happen. So just like you guys, like, these machines mean a lot to me too, and um, and now I've got you know, uh, they're sitting on a bookshelf kind of above me right now. I mean, there's like eight of them in here now, or nine or something. I've got a couple in my car, so it's uh it's getting crazy over here, but getting close to being done. 
once you're done with this, like yeah. you've collected them all <laughs> and you have completed the video project that you're working on and probably taken a bunch of photos, what are you going to do with them? It's like sending kids off to college. <laughs> <laughs> That's a question I actually didn't think of until like yesterday as I was putting, I've got the tangerine in my trunk. I was like, what are we going to do with all these when this is done? And like, and so I don't know. I mean, uh, I would like to say that I'm going to keep a couple of them and maybe I'll, I'll find a good use for the others. Uh, but I, I don't, I don't know yet. I mean, part of me wants to keep them all, but it's, it's a, they take up a ridiculous amount of space. I'll put it, I'll take a picture. Um, so we can have for the show notes of where I have them stored right now. And it is just like, I mean, it's, it's it's a lot of space. We'll see. I guess we'll find out uh, soon enough. Has the police ever pulled you over with all those IMAX in your trunk? (laughs) Not yet. Uh, It's just a matter of time, really. (laughs) You know it's going to happen, and you're going to have to come up with a good excuse, Stephen. I'm a a Mac historian. For some reason, it doesn't sound like a good excuse to a police officer. Yeah, uh, There is... You know, this weird thing that happens because we share this office building with some other people where I brought in like four the other day and I, I could just like feel like people looking at me <laughs> as I brought them to the building. They're like, what, what are you doing? Like, but uh, yeah, it's whatever. Man, this is great. This is one of the, the best things you've done with old Max. Yeah, it in a really while. is. It's, it's so entertaining it's, and long yes. running. And for me, it's not getting boring. No, it's not like at it all. just gets more and more crazy every time. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Federico, for some reason, you've been up to something that I saw you were doing and didn't really... I don't know why it didn't, I didn't pay too much attention to it until yesterday, which mm. is playing around with Telegram. Now, when we were putting this into our document, I knew what Telegram was. Stephen had no idea what Telegram is mm-hmm. uh, and what you're doing with it. So could you explain, first off, what Telegram is and then okay. talk a little bit about what you're doing with Max Stories? The Telegram is a mobile messaging service. Um, it's got apps for everything, everything, basically. It's like WhatsApp, right? If you're in Europe or elsewhere, you know what it is. It started out as an alternative to WhatsApp, really. Uh, it was made in Russia uh, with a focus on privacy and security. One of the most distinctive features back in the day was uh, encryption. Uh, you could have end-to-end uh, encrypted conversations with your friends. You could have secret chats, which uh, self-destruct after a while, kind of like Snapchat, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, of course, WhatsApp has a, a bunch of similar encryption features. Uh, but Telegram really is available on every platform. So it's on the iPhone, the iPad, Apple Watch, Mac, uh, Android. I'm pretty sure there's a web app somewhere. Uh, it's really well done, really well polished, and they move fast. So they ship updates every few weeks. There's a major feature update the design is very polished. It's fast. It's free, uh, and it's kind of fun because you can you can. There's excellent support for inline, uh, like in conversations, inline previews. So you can share gifts, you can share stickers, uh, you can install stickers from other people on the internet. You can play videos inline, like YouTube videos right into the app. It's really fun, really polished, fast, secure. Uh, I've been meaning to. So a lot of my friends use WhatsApp, uh, but I cannot use it uh, because it doesn't have an iPad app, and I don't want to uh, chat. The web app is an The web app is kind of weird because it <laughs> runs off the iPhone app as a s- local server, 
and you gotta use it in a web browser. It's kind of kind of weird. Um, so I wanted to use something like WhatsApp, like person to person conversations or group conversations, without having to invite a person every time to my Slack account. Um, I wanted to have something like WhatsApp, but which wasn't WhatsApp, and a lot of people on Twitter told me you should really check out Telegram because it's grown quite a bit since the since the few the first few years. And I'm glad I did. I've been using Telegram for uh, for uh, maybe two, three months now. Um, I've been working on a major project for Mac Stories, which should be launching really soon, uh, all through Telegram with this other person. Um, and the, the great thing about Telegram is that you can also not just talk to other people or group groups of people. You can also follow channels. And channels are like... Um, the, like you you cannot talk in a channel you can only follow so there's like publications like uh tech blogs or you know general news sites they can open a channel and you can follow a channel and they can share all kinds of things so it's like you observe a conversation from other people without any way to actively participate in that conversation which is a great it's like a like a private twitter feed uh, without the limitations of character counts. Uh, and the great thing is, I've been following a bunch of channels, from mostly from Italian uh, web blogs, and they were the, the major inspiration for me for what we started doing with Mac Stories. And I especially wanna, I want to mention the Italian website, uh, multiplayer.it. Uh, it's a video game website, and a dear friend of mine, Antonio, works there. And they do an awesome work with the Telegram channel. They have over 2,000 members. And it's it's really nice. It's a nice way to get a glimpse of what they're working on, and behind the scenes. And it's it's different from following these people on Twitter, because on Twitter there's no easy way to share an audio clip. And of course, Telegram being a chat application, you can share voice chats. Uh, you can share stickers, GIFs, links, uh, everything's got a fancy, nice preview, it's really cool. And also you can follow and interact with bots. So a bot, which is, you know, uh, one of the trends of 2016, I guess, uh, it's an automated system that shows you messages sends you a link, uh, links to, like, web pages and, you know, uh, Twitter accounts. Uh, there's all, all kinds of bots, and you can interact with them either by talking or by having, like, custom interfaces. And just yesterday, Telegram launched a new bot uh, platform, which introduces some new crazy features, like you can play music with a bot. I don't know, it's kind of crazy. Um, so you should definitely check out the Telegram blog post about it, because it's kind of awesome. Uh, so anyway, I've been using Telegram to chat with people and to follow publications and, I guess, other public figures through channels. So my idea was, uh, I'm looking at this awesome work that these people are doing with Telegram channels. And I've been thinking about a way to show people what goes on in Mac Stories every day without taking it to Twitter for a couple of reasons. The first one was the limitations with character counts and the way that you can share media. So I wanted to have something quite media heavy. So a lot of like silly things like stickers and GIFs but also screenshots and especially audio clips every day, or at least almost every day. It's my goal. 
Um, and, and it's difficult to do that on Twitter. It's okay for images, but it's not okay for audio clips and GIFs. You know, I, everyone does it in a different way on Twitter. Uh, so I wanted to have something that could work with that. But especially, I didn't want to annoy people too much, especially now that we have quite a few followers with the website and with my personal account. I feel like, I do feel like I'm going to annoy people who just follow me that, that because they want to see like Apple News and some personal stuff, but they don't want to know everything because they're not like super fans or like dedicated readers who have been around for years and years. Uh, and I do understand why it could be annoying for those people to have like 20 messages from me every single afternoon. Um, so I was like, how can we give the people who really love us, uh, you know, the best people, how can we give them more without being too annoying on Twitter for everyone and while also being fun and personal and sort of unedited, you know, without having to think about it too much? And the Telegram channel was the perfect idea uh, because we could, you know, we could just write as if it was a text message. Uh, we could invite people to join. And the most important aspect, it's not like a Slack, which we need to manage, where we need to become community managers, where our time is inevitably spent managing people, managing trolls, or like managing offensive messages. It's like just a McStory's team. Right now it's the three of us, me, John, and Graham, just talking like out loud sometimes, mm -hmm. just thinking and sharing without the extra responsibility of Twitter. I don't know if that makes any sense, Mike. Yeah, I really like it. So I've been kind of over the last couple of days, I installed Telegram and I've been watching you guys, and it's a lot of fun to watch what goes on behind the scenes. So, like with uh, with the Six Colors membership, Jason and Dan do a secret subscriber podcast, which is like this. It's like imagining there was a meeting that discusses what's going to happen on a website in a week, right? And you guys are kind of doing that every day. So there's discussions about what's coming up on the site you give uh, kind of like teasers of the things that you're working on you talk about out loud some of the stuff you're working on you did that kind of like audio message yesterday which i really liked where you're kind of just talking about what you're doing today and kind of saying like this is the sort of stuff that i'm looking for and this is what i'm working on like it's just a nice way to get a little bit more of what's going on behind the scenes over at mac stories and i think it's really cool and it did also uh it helped me come across a shocking discovery yesterday. Oh, God. Uh, which I will put a link in the show notes. Federico went story. for pizza, and on his pizza, he has lemon on his pizza. Uh, and I, what? you know. No, okay, what? okay, okay. Lemon no. and, and, and what are they, prawns? Uh, uh, yeah. 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 Uh, why? <laughs> okay, so let me explain. So yesterday, I... All things pizza, everyone. Yesterday, I went to see my oncologist. Everything's fine. I just needed to hand over the, the, the tests and mm. to have the in-person checkup and everything's perfect. And when we do that, me and Silvia, we go eat pizza in this pizza place uh, in Terni, which is the, the town where we go. And it's not a uh, like a like a restaurant. You sit down and you get a full pizza. It's like you choose a bunch of pizza slices which with a different topping. Uh -huh. um, and in Italy... We have this 
thing going on when the good season, like the spring or the summer, approaches, you can have not necessarily like hot types of pizza. Uh, you have like fresh types of pizzas, like there's salad or seafood or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, prawns in this case. And it's kind of, it's different because you only find, you usually find that in the summer. And it's kind of, I call it uh, fresh pizza because it's kind of refreshing. You know, it's different mm-hmm. from the usual margarita or, you know, that type of stuff. Um, and so the, the seafood on top of the pizza is totally normal here. Uh, so the, the, the prawns or... And pineapple's totally normal here. <laughs> why, would you, why, would you compare, why would you compare seafood to pineapple? Because it's two weird things on a pizza. Really? Yeah, seafood or prawns. I mean, I've never seen prawns on a pizza before. Really? Never, ever. Never. Or lettuce. There's lettuce on this pizza. Ser- yeah, it's it's completely normal here. And pineapple's normal here. My, no, my point of bringing not, this up see, was the thing is, understanding that, it's, that things are different. Like the coffee, you know? Let me explain. For Italians, um, salad or seafood... Any other type of, mm, I want to say, main dish is okay for pizza. Any type of fruit is not okay for pizza. Except for lemon, right? That's a garnish. Uh So you remove, it's just for the flavor or for the beauty. So another thing is... uh, Just for the beauty. Yes, (laughs) yes, I'm I'm not kidding. No, I believe you. It's probably the most Italian thing you have ever said to me. Another, th- I'm not kidding. I, wish I, I was know, kidding. I believe you. <laughs> Another thing Italians really care about is the presentation of the meal. Mm-hmm. So the garnish, so the decoration. Even after you remove that before eating it, I mean, who eats a full lemon with a with a peel? You know, you don't do I, that. I would have been horrified if you told me you were eating it. Hold on, I do eat lemons because I love the taste of lemon. Uh, I just I re- I peel them first, <laughs> so that that was like a fully right. sliced lemon, but that was a decoration, you know. And yeah. and it's to- I mean salad and seafood is totally normal here. I don't know. I guess you could go to some new age <laughs> type of new pizza age. place. Yeah, that's what we call them. Yeah, At least I'm what sure I call them. Yeah, yeah. You go yeah, to some new age there. hippie pizza place and you can eat pizza with like apples on top or you know some other fancy new age ingredients. Um, but seafood and salad is totally normal. Anyway. Is this, it sounds like a shocking discovery to you. It is, and it was to many people. Anyway, so where can people, <laughs> where can people go and sign up to, to find the te- your telegram? Uh, channel. Uh, it's uh, it's telegram.me slash MacStories. There you go. You can go. The professional mic. And if you, uh, I recommend it. It's good. It's one of those things where I'm like, I'm sitting there and like, I want to talk to these guys. It's fun. I, I like it a lot. It's a, it's, a, it's a cool thing. And there's also, there is also a Vatici seal of quality. There is as a sticker. As a sticker. Yeah. In and Telegram that anybody can access. Anybody can use an Outside of the MacStories channel, you can yep. install the sticker pack. I believe there's going to be more stickers, but right now we basically uh, have this seal of quality sticker, which is associated with the 100 emoji, you know, that people use to indicate, I guess, something that is pretty cool. So Amazing. It's pretty cool, yeah. <laughs> 
All right, so airmail. There's been a big update to airmail. You've written a, a big post on this. Uh, I'm interested in what uh, you guys think about this. I haven't checked out. I played around with the iPad beta a little bit, but didn't mm-hmm. really play around with it too much because I'm pretty set on Outlook. But mm-hmm. so were you, Federico, and now mm-hmm. you're using <laughs> Airmail. So, yeah. you know, you're just doing it to me again where you like, you're like, come over to the Outlook side, Mike. It's really nice. And I'm like, okay, Federico, no, no. and off I okay. go. Outlook is, uh, is the, I believe, the perfect uh, basic email alternative right now. Like, if you don't want to use Apple Mail, Go to Outlook immediately. It's the best option you can have. Uh, and and some people seem surprised by the fact that I'm always checking out the best solutions I can use. Just on Outlook, r- real quick. Uh, I just wanted to mention something that I did yesterday that like just kind of blew me away. Um, I had a contract that I was looking over that was a Word document. And when you open a, a Word document or any Microsoft format document in Outlook, a little button pops up, like the Word button. Yeah. So you press the Word button. It opened Word. Uh, I could edit it only on my 9.7-inch iPad because any screen over 10 inches needs uh, a 365 subscription to edit a document. <laughs> Whatever. Like That's the weird Microsoft stuff interrupting the good Microsoft stuff. So I did it on the 9.7-inch iPad, uh, and I edited the document, and I pressed the little back button expecting to go back to the documents view of Word. But instead, what I did was I went back to Outlook and the document that I've been working on had been saved as an attachment in a reply to the original email. And I was like, oh, wow, that's good <laughs> yeah, integration. That's nice. That's anyway. nice. So before, before I talk about Airmail, I just saw someone in the chat room ask a very important question, which is how do you say pineapple in Italian? Okay. And the answer might blow you away. Do you want to know what, what we call the pineapple? Please tell me. <laughs> we call it ananas. Ananas, like bananas without a B. <laughs> yes, but with the accent in a different place. Anan- ananas, on the, ananas, on the last A. Wait, what do you call bananas? Banana. Okay. <laughs> so, in English, pineapple is closer to apple. But in yeah. Italian, it's closer to banana. Yeah. Neither's right because pineapple is neither <laughs> no. like a banana or an apple. Uh, but it's more like are. a pine, really. It's <laughs> like a big pine. I guess English is more correct. I don't it's know. It's like a big pine cone. I think it's yeah. probably where it comes from. Yeah. Anyway, um, I was saying about email clients. Um, uh, some people seem surprised on Twitter that I'm moving between email clients. And um, I-, I thought it was pretty clear that when it comes to task managers, I have found my sort of safe haven with to do, but email clients were still in flux. Just because I haven't found, you know, the perfect well, one. One for of me. the problems with email clients, and it can be a similar problem with task managers when you compare it to something like a Twitter app, is it's a real pain to switch email apps. Especially if you have more than two accounts, it's just a pain. Yeah. Right. It's not Signing fun. in to everything, it's like, oh it takes forever. It's not fun. Uh, the reason why um, I, I'm using Airmail on every device now is that it's got the features that I need that other apps don't have. It's very simple. Uh, it's got to-do integration, and new in this version, it's also on the iPad, so I can use it everywhere. And for me, the one of the most important features is I can create saved searches. So I I've always been a fan of smart folders on on the Mac. Um, 
I I always need to access messages from either some people or with a specific subject or sent to an address by another specific address. And the only way to do that is to use uh, safe searches. And Airmail now lets me do that. And they sync with the iCloud, so it's not like I need to recreate them every time. And at this point, Airmail is the best email client for me. Um, I perfectly understand why other uh, people are happy with Outlook, which is excellent. Let me tell you, it's a fantastic app. Uh, but it's just, I feel like Airmail is a little more geeky, maybe a more in line with what I like. The, the, one, of, one of the issues with Airmail is that it's still not perfectly polished. It's got still some visual bugs, some odd behaviors here and there. I'm pretty sure Steven has found them too. Um, it still needs to be a little more polished, uh, but mm-hmm. you know I can I can live with it for now. So it's uh, I uh, it's the only email app I have on on my devices at this point. Yeah, the big thing for me with this is I've I've kind of come to a place where I would like features that Mail.app doesn't have, and I've used Mail.app since. Like ten point two. I mean, for a long time, uh, and the big one being snoozing. But uh, the, what I'm struggling with, is, so I use Google Apps for my relay email, for my five twelve email, and then I use Gmail for my personal email. And what I've always struggled with with Gmail setup is the all mail folder. So uh, if you're in Gmail on the web, you can just search for anything and it finds it because it's actually storing everything, not only in your labels but also in your um your all mail folder so in my relay account for instance i've got a folder for connected and a folder for liftoff and i keep things the feedback email gets filtered there automatically um you know any scheduling or topic emails i store in there and what i've done in mail for years is i've created you know basically some specific folders and then like I have one called relay archive where anything that I want to keep but is not necessarily so specific goes in there. And and that's fine until you use a mail program like Airmail that wants to archive stuff. And you can do that in mail but it's easy to get around. But uh the idea that you can push a button or a keystroke and archive your mail is nice, but to do that sort of well, Airmail wants to use the all mail folder and like I said, I struggle with that because it's sort of a mix of everything. And so if I go into my all mail for my main Gmail account, you know, there's sit mail in there. There's mail that's been archived in the past. It's like, it's a little bit messy. And it's fine if you're using search online to get through this, but search and airmail isn't as good as what Google's doing on the server side. And so that's just a, a period of adjustment for me of like turning off those old archive folders and kind of getting in the habit that things are just going to be in all mail now and I've got to search for them. But I think I'll get there because I like the features of Airmail. Like you said, it's a little weird in places, especially on the Mac. There's some pretty rough edges in places, but it's really nice on the iPhone. and It's pretty good on the iPad. So uh, I'm I'm kind of jumping in with both feet, changing the way my email works a little bit. If I go back to mail.app, I'll, I guess I'll figure that out. But uh, for now, at least, I'm pretty happy with it. So, Stephen, wouldn't labels do what you need? Well, they they do, but the the big thing is if I want to archive with a swipe or archive with a um with a key keyboard shortcut, it best I can tell, Airmail does a really not good job at um 
like some mail programs I've used, you can set an archive folder manually. You can do that in mail.app to a degree. So I could say, um, if I get it, something in my inbox in Relay, I want to archive it. Don't go in all mail, just go in the Relay archive folder or label. Um, and AirMail works basically the way Gmail does, where it Gmail really doesn't want you to use labels. You can. It's, they're a superset of everything that's in all mail. So it's in your big archive and it's just labeled out. So really the, the issue is, is the shortcuts. The swipe to, swipe to archive can't be mapped to a folder. And um, so that's kind of where my hangup is. And it's minor and it may only be my, my problem. But um, I guess we'll see how that goes. This feels like one of those things that you have to find a way around permanently, right? Like it just feels like you've got yeah. a very specific thing that is tied to one application. You know, this is how I was with Mailbox, right? Like <clears throat> I had a bunch of things that I liked Mailbox for, and then when that went away, I had to just decide that I'm going to drop the way that I manage email in that regard and manage it differently. Yeah. Because you've kind of, I think you've got to really try and approach these things from the most simple way, right? Mm-hmm. Because... The, the protocol is so open and so many people manipulate it in their own way to do their own things in their own yeah. apps. And, and the chat room is pointing out you can map your all-mail folder to another folder in AirMail. What I have come across is that works great on iOS, but the Mac app won't respect uh, where the message is supposed to go. And so if I told my Relay account to say, hey, don't use all-mail, use Relay Archive, and... Um, if I swipe over to archive, it goes to the right folder, but if I do it on the Mac, it doesn't. It just disappears into all mail. Um, so that may be that it's a bug in AirMail for the Mac, but um, I am coming around to kind of realizing that, especially as, as Gmail moves further away from like standard IMAP, and you know they've said they're going to be doing their own thing more and more, that it's probably time to get on board with how Gmail does things. It's just a learning curve for me because I've done it my own way for such a long time. Now, saying about the Mac app is, is an interesting point. I mean, I noticed this when I was using the Airmail iPhone app as well. Is when that originally came out, it felt like there were a lot of features that weren't in parity between the, all the versions. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I'm assuming, Stephen, that you... Have you used the Airmail Mac app any? Yeah, I've got it open right now. Um, so, I mean, because I assume that Federico's not using it. Um, is that still the case? I mean, are the apps still doing things that are kind of different to each other, or are they starting to align that more? They're starting to align more. Like, if you go into settings on iOS and the Mac, for the most part, things are the same. When the iOS beta started, they were <laughs> crazy different. And they've been they've been bringing them closer together. Um there are definitely things about AirMail on the Mac that don't feel native to OS ten. Like, you know, not that it's a Flash app or anything, but like some of its UI paradigms and the way some things work just doesn't feel quite right on the Mac. But I do think that all in all, they are definitely closer than they were. And um, from being on the iOS beta, at least, this is a company that is making uh, big, like leaps and bounds and progress in short amount of time. And I, I tried AirMail when it first came out, like years ago, a couple years ago. And AirMail 2 on the Mac is drastically better. And so I, I uh, have faith that even though this is a, um, you know, it's not a Microsoft, right? It's a smaller company that they're going to be able to get this right and uh, and move forward pretty quickly. So Federico, when you originally reviewed AirMail, I think the way that you kind of left it was 
this app has got some room to grow, but there are bugs in it, which mean I don't want anything to do with it, basically. Mm-hmm. What's changed? Uh, well, the, 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 the most problematic bugs got fixed. Like, in the first version of Airmail, I was getting some crazy stuff, like not being able to send messages or according uh, the the wrong part of a message sometimes uh problems with signatures now i'm not getting those like showstoppers anymore it's just some sometimes like a, like a, a transition in the in the interface gets stuck or like there's a scrolling problem but nothing major that compromises the way that i can manage or send email so the the there's a lot of bug fixes since version 1.0. And the only thing left is, I guess, a little more polish, you know, for the animations, for the way that you can uh, select text. Uh, but it's minor uh, minor issues compared to what it used to be in the first version. Hmm. Okay. Last thing that I'm interested about on in this is uh, read receipts. Now, mm-hmm. I know in the yeah. past that you've been a little bit uncomfortable about read receipts. I still am. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't like them. So, how do you feel about them being an ammo? You still not still not think they're a good thing, and why? Why do you think they're a bad thing? I don't think it's a good idea because if um, it fundamentally changes the social behavior of email, uh, it by turning and this is something that I cover in last night's uh, review. Uh, it those types of features turning email into something like messaging uh it, it it alters the very nature of email and by having a uh you know the ability to see if someone has read your message um it, at least for me it increases the pressure the social pressure uh in having to well one feel bad about knowing that the other person knows i've read their message but I'm not replying to it. And the second is, I, I now I feel obligated to send a reply. Uh, whereas with tr- traditional email, there's the there's a thin veil, I guess, of knowing and not knowing that the other person has read or not read your message. It's kind of like Schrodinger's email, in a way. <laughs> Once you send an email, it's both read or not read, usually. But the thing, but the thing that makes email read receipts different is you still don't know, though. What? So you, still- you, as the recipient of the email, don't know that a read receipt has been added to that email. Oh, that's even worse. <laughs> no, but I mean, so like the pressure that you're feeling doesn't exist because you don't know. Yeah, but now I can just assume that everyone knows. Then you've never worked in a corporation, my friend, because this is very normal I never, in big companies. I never have, in fact, yeah. and, and I it, never will. <laughs> I know, but like, and I, I get what you're saying, but this is a very normal practice, which is why you're seeing it in these email apps now. Corporations are not normal. Mike. Well, there's a different, it's a different kind of normal, man. It's more normal than what me and you do. I say that. I just, I just say, if you give someone an iPhone and you use the mail app, there's no read receipt. And I struggle to see Apple adding read receipts anytime soon. I wonder if uh, it's different with exchange support. I don't know if it is. Might be. I, I guess I, I've grown up thinking that email is this thing that you just write a letter to someone and you send it out mm-hmm. and whatever happens next, nobody knows. And <laughs> whereas, you know, in messages and like WhatsApp and these other messaging services, it's more, uh, you know, it's more personal maybe it's more direct it's faster 
and there's an, an, an you know people just know that there's uh, the ability to to track the status of a message with email it's just weird you know uh and now i i i feel like the airmail team doesn't particularly like it much it's off by default uh of course there's a bunch of options to uh select whether you you want it to be always on or to be asked every time i just feel like it's uh, maybe this is gonna sound completely wrong to people but to me it sounds it seems a little desperate to want to know when someone has read your message you know i think that in a corporate setting mm. that makes i i believe that there is a benefit Oh, like, having because you want to know, well, Frank from accounting has read my message. Exactly. Now, uh, <laughs> okay. And it's why, like, you know, we talk about with, with FreshBooks, who's the sponsor of the show, um, they have a feature like this in, in with their invoices. That you know it's been received, you know it's been opened. There are benefits to it. But I actually do agree with you in that outside of a, a setting where there is a, an explicit business relationship, read receipts can get a little bit weird. Because there isn't a consistency to it. Mm-hmm. When when you work within a corporate email system, you understand that inside of that email system, something like read receipts is might occur, right? Yeah, but I think when you're going out to the wider world, it does get a little bit more tricky because there's no consistency to it. If Gmail had read receipts built in, that might be different. Yeah, because you 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 know you grew up thinking that it's possible, and it's just strange to apply what makes sense in a corporate environment to to other people, mm-hmm. and especially for me, you know, for the website, it becomes I I feel bad about not having time for everyone, and I, and I struggle with this a lot because if I feel so lucky to do what I do, mm-hmm. and uh, and I and like. At a very personal level, I wish I had the time to reply to every single tweet, to reply to every single email, to reply to every single message that I get from people. And 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 I feel so bad because those people, they they spend their actual time writing you an email or writing you a tweet. I mean, nobody's telling them to follow me. Nobody's telling them to, to send me a message. And I feel like a jerk every time that I don't have the time to to reply to those people. And I try to justify that behavior to myself by saying, if I spend my days replying to email and replying to tweets and messages, I wouldn't do what those people came to know me for in the first place. And But I still feel bad. And now that there's this read-receipt setting trend going on, I feel bad knowing that even more people can assume that I'm a jerk. Well, in fact, I don't think I'm a jerk. I think I'm a nice guy. I just, I just need <laughs> to write. Otherwise, I would be a support person or like a community manager. You know. Mm-hmm. So it's the kind of, uh, the kind of option that, at a very intimate level, I guess, makes me feel bad about not having the time for everyone. I wish I had the time for everyone, but I'm, I don't. And that's both awesome, but also kind of sad that it makes me feel bad. I don't know if that makes any sense to you guys, but it's what I feel and why I have maybe strong words about uh, about this setting. I get it. I get it. I, get, I, t- I completely get what you're saying. Um, we've gone a little into the weeds, but overall, because <laughs> I mean, I don't want to end this on, on like you being upset. No, because I'm not overall, upset. <laughs> you obviously like airmail enough. 
Oh yeah, to it's make awesome. it your, your your app now. So I just want I basically just wanted to come back and underscore that point. Yeah, that, absolutely. Um, this is something you don't like. It's a trend you don't like that airmail is taken part of. But uh, overall, you are a big fan of this application, and and I'm going to give it another go. I'm having a, a an issue on airmail for Mac right now, which I've been through with the support team. Like for example, I'll just tell you what it is. It doesn't open every time it opens. It crashes. <laughs> Oh, uh, that's okay. fine. Yeah, and they've said to me, blow away the preferences. I've done all of that. And as soon as I add my email accounts back again, it dies again. So I need to work on that, but uh, I'm, I'm willing to give it another shot. But I don't, I really, really like Outlook. So I'm not sure that I would. Uh... I feel like when I said basic before about Outlook, a lot of people saw, at least in the chat room, saw that as me throwing shade. I mean, <laughs> by basic, I meant. Uh, if you're looking for an alternative to Apple Mail, the first step you gotta try is Outlook. So that was poorly worded on my end. I feel like it's the premier alt- free alternative to to Apple Mail. So you don't want to use Apple Mail. The first thing you gotta try is Outlook. And my my the way that I see AirMail and maybe Spark and but especially AirMail is that if you use a lot of third-party app integrations or you want to have safe searches, those are two big features for me. Uh, Third-party app support and the smart folders. Mm -hmm. That's Because it's totally in line with the way that I like to do email. So that's the reason why I'm using Airmail now. I'm going to give it... I'm going to read over your review in more detail and and give it a shot, I think. But uh, yeah, there's something to check out and it's uh, interesting to see it's interesting to see how much development there is in email clients right now, which is uh, a cool, thing. cool mm-hmm. thing. All right, this week's episode is also brought to you by Arc. We all know, especially listeners of this show will know, we've been through this many times in the past, that off-site backups are a critical part of a well-rounded backup strategy. But if you want to have as much control over this process as possible, then you should be checking out Arc. And you can go to arcbackup.com slash connected. That's A-R-Q backup.com slash connected. Arc backs up all of your files on your Mac or PC, including all the metadata attached to them. Everything is encrypted with a password that only you know before any of your files ever leave your computer. This means that everything is safe and secure in transit and even on the remote servers that you store them on. Arc does something special, though. It stores your backed up data in your own cloud storage account so you keep control of your data. You can leverage all of the extra space in your Google Drive, Dropbox or OneDrive account for your encrypted backups or you can even back up to your AWS or Google Cloud Storage account. You can even back up to a local device like a NAS with Arc. These backups are all versioned so you can go back in time and grab a file that's changed or has been deleted with ease. Now actually today as we record this, version 5 of Arc is out now and it brings a bunch of enhancements. The app is massively faster overall they've put a lot of work into making the app itself a better and more enjoyable experience you have more control over network usage to make sure that you're preventing backups while tethered to your phone for example which is a much needed thing for so many services whenever i tether and dropbox goes off it's the worst Um, they have now a detailed backup session logging Uh, i don't really know what that means Stephen. what is backup session logging so it is keeping a record, I believe, of what gets backed up like per time it runs. So it's like a, a running log of what changes are getting pushed to whatever service you're using. 
So fancy that you can get detailed email reports so you know exactly what's being backed up, how much was uploaded, and how long it took. You get the ability to run scripts before or after a backup, and with auto-updating and a whole host of other small improvements, there has never been a better time to try out Arc. Visit arcbackup.com slash connected now to learn more and try it out for free. Thank you so much to Arc. Again, this ARQ for sponsoring this week's episode. All right, so we have something special to round out this week's episode. Stephen, can you tell um, our lovely listeners uh, what you've done for them? Uh, you bet. So the Henry Ford Museum is a museum here in the United States uh, that really focuses on uh, innovation. And so obviously the Henry Ford name is associated with, with cars and they, they do have a car collection. But the Henry Ford also has things like, um, you know, other types of inventions, a lot of things with early phones, early cameras, and relevant to this show and my interest, early computers. And so I got an opportunity last week to interview uh, their curator over technology. And um, it was a, it was a great interview. Um, the, the woman's name is Kristen Gallerno, and we just had a great time talking about the museum's Apple One. And the Apple One turned 40 this week. And so this was sort of in conjunction with that anniversary. They have put their Apple One out uh, for display for a short period of time. So if you're in the Michigan area, you should go see it. Uh, But she and I sat down and talked for about 15 minutes uh, about the Apple One, about why it's an important computer, and really how Apple sparked off the, the, the personal computer revolution, really. And so the we have some audio for you we're going to play. There's a transcript with like annotated notes and links over on 512 Pixels. We'll put a link in the show notes to that, along with a bunch of links. Um, uh, Kristen's been doing a lot of YouTube videos with the Apple One, a bunch of fun stuff. So there's a lot of, a lot of stuff to go check out. And it was a real honor to get to talk to her, and um, I hope you enjoy the interview. Kristen, who are you, and uh, what do you do? Uh, my name is Kristen Gallerno, and I'm the Curator of Communications and Information Technology at the Henry Ford Museum. So I take care of things like computers, uh, also things like radios, televisions, things that have tubes and transistors. Definitely those are all in my collections. And the uh, the Henry Ford Museum, best I can tell, is really uh, built around like American innovation and technology. Is that a, a fair way to sum, sum your work up? Yeah, definitely fair. We're very big on the ideas of uh, innovation and ingenuity, resourcefulness. So a lot of people think that we're just a car museum and we do have a lot of really great cars. We're obviously invested in automotive history because of our founder, um, but we have very large collections of uh, technology and design and domestic life and public life. So it's a really, um, you know, it's a wide range of materials we have here. Yeah, I think, you know, I was perusing the website, looking at the collections, and something that struck me, and I'm sort of self-proclaimed, you know, Apple historian, but I think a lot of people don't realize just how much of what we have today in terms of technology sort of got started on American soil. Yeah, definitely. One of my favorite moments on the museum floor um, is we have this large uh, case, uh, museum case, uh, full of telephones. And there's probably about an array of about 50 different telephones within that case. And of course, a lot of those started out from, you know, American innovation development. We have early, you know, 19th century bell telephones in there, and then it leads all the way up into uh, an iPhone. So uh, through those arrays of objects like that, you know, it's, it's 
really uh, interesting because you really get to see the way that uh, technology has sort of uh, condensed back down upon itself. Yeah, I think I think you see those big timelines of stuff. It's sort of mind blowing that we call, you know, what's in my pocket a phone. Yeah, <laughs> it's, exactly. It's strange. <laughs> it's a television. It's a radio. Exactly. It's, yeah. It's, you know. Yeah. We actually have a telephone in that same case that um, it's sitting pretty near the iPhone, and it's really interesting because it's a, a card dialer telephone. So it was an early speed dial telephone that really worked off the same principles of something like a jacquard weaving loom. So you know, you get to those big. You know, I know this is an Apple program, but let's go IBM for a minute. <laughs> if we go to uh, you know like an IBM 360 or you know uh, something that takes punch card technology, uh, you know there was a telephone that used that too. So um, really we've, I always tell people we've kind of reached the, um, you know, the Kodak Brownie moment in computing, which is basically, you know, their motto was uh, you push the button, we do the rest, Mm -hmm. Um, which is to say that, you know, a lot of the processes behind technology have really become invisible and mysterious to us. And um, I think I'm okay with that actually, (laughs) (laughs) but it's interesting to think about them once in a while. Yeah. And of course we've seen the same thing, right. uh, in talking about computers where, uh, started out um, yeah, big mechanical objects, right? Actually, we call them machines now, but they were actual physical machines. Oh yeah. Uh, and then we move through, uh, you know, the time that that I find really fascinating of uh, the the time of the high priest and the punch card, where yes. you are removed from your computing experience, right? You kind of come back and see the results, um, and that's really kind of where Apple enters the scene, right? So. Um, kind of what we're getting to today is that you guys have one of the last remaining known Apple ones. Tell me a little bit about the, about that computer. Kind of what was the world like when it showed up? Well, um, really, you know, it's, it's interesting to kind of backtrack for a minute to about a year before it actually came into the world, which was in March of 75. Um, which is really the seeds of the, be- the beginning of the homebrew computer club, which is where it really got its start in this uh, garage in Menlo Park. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, writing out there on the web debunking the myth of the garage in Silicon Valley. Um, but, you know, the homebrew actually did get its start in a garage for the first few meetings, at least. And uh, Steve Wozniak uh, had a technical problem he was trying to solve. And one of his friends who he was working with at Hewlett Packard at the time um, told him, you know, you should really go to this meeting. And he was apparently a very you know shy guy and uh, with a bit of uh, sort of <laughs> cajoling uh, he did he did eventually go and um, when he got there he was just so inspired by uh, the environment that was there you know it's I've read a lot about how competitive it was and read oral histories and things and this seems to hold true um, and uh, it was out of going to that first meeting really that um, you know the Apple the seeds for the Apple one sorry that's kind of cheesy but they were they were planted um, and you know he had developed computers before that, um, but th- this is really the beginning of the Apple One. Um, so the Apple One that we have is one of the first 50 that was ever made. Um, there are apparently about 200 or so sold, and they're, the location today of about 46 of those 200 are known. Um, but what's really special about ours is is one of the fir- first 50 Apple One computers ever sold. And out of that batch of first 50, about nine of that batch are known to uh, work. And ours works. It's completely unmodified. It has all of its original chips, fully operational. And I know this because I actually got to, this is a great perk of the job. I actually got to learn how to program basic on it. Very cool. And I think for people who aren't familiar with it, this is not really a computer in the sense that we think about one now, right? This is really just a board. 
Exactly. Yeah. When you bought an Apple One computer, really what you were buying was the motherboard. Um, so you had to buy a monitor, you had to buy a keyboard, even had to buy a power supply for the thing. And the first uh, few Apple Ones that were sold, those actually didn't even come with a tape drive interface. And the benefit of this tape drive interface was that you didn't actually have to uh, type in the basic program from scratch. You could load it in from memory off of this tape because you couldn't just flick this thing on and then, you know, just interact with it or right. play a video game or whatever. <laughs> it was a very bare bones uh, thing. And, um, uh, you know, there is a funny story about Paul Terrell, who was the owner of the bite shop where these uh, computers were first sold. And, and he was really disappointed when Steve Jobs showed up with this sort of cardboard box full of Apple One motherboards. And it's like, wait, what? I paid you guys, you know, to to sell me computers. <laughs> what are these? Um, so really, they were they were kind of a, a naked uh, sort of object in their own way. They didn't even have a case. Um, but there's something really special in that, you know, and that's um, one of the reasons why we really love our Apple One and why we, you know, really went to bat for getting this thing here is because you can see its workings, you know, it's exposed, it's not hidden in a case. Right. I saw one in Atlanta a few years ago, and I was really struck by that, just how there's nothing else. So everything else has been, you know, it's not really stripped away because it hasn't existed yet. And compared to something like the Apple II, which, of course, uh, there's stories about Steve Jobs running around, uh, you know, yelling about the creases in the plastic, right? The, 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 put it in <laughs> right. a case and have the keyboard built in. And, you know, I've right. got an Apple II actually here on my desk. And, and, and even though it is an antique in every way, it still sort of looks like a computer, right? It's approachable. And um, I think that's one of the things that made... Uh, Apple in particular, so fascinating, right? That they they moved very quickly from this Apple One um, into something that was more consumer friendly, and of course, you know, the rest is history. But yeah, what um, what do you think the legacy uh, of the Apple One is today? You know, it's really hard as a museum curator to really. Um, sort of be able to put your fist down on a table really hard. I'm not going to slam my table here, but um, <laughs> I don't want to upset the microphone. Um, but it's really hard to get back to saying something like, no, this is the first, th this is the first, you right. know, and this is really the beginning of something. This is the beginning of a company that is, you know, it defines, you know, most I, I don't know what the percentages are of people who own smartphones, but a large percentage of those people are, you know, Apple users. And it's really just, you know, um, a colleague of mine, and I'll use his words here because he, he might say it better than me, um, talked the other day about how technology really creeps into our lives. Mm -hmm. You know, so, um, you know, when an iPad was released, for example, you know, we would think, you know, what what are we going to do with this? What what is, what is the use of a tablet? But now it's like, you know, you go and you pick up your morning coffee and you're signing with your finger on a square, you know, enabled tablet. And it's quite often an iPad, um, you know, so it's it's just everywhere and you know as a company um you know steve wozniak and steve jobs in tandem they worked um together to really innovate uh and and be um you know just this excellent duo and and really in terms of uh history you know it's like we we talk about the myth of the lone genius people you know sort of like hunched over their their workshop tables uh poking away all night and certainly wozniak did that with you know getting uh basic to work on the apple one um certainly steve jobs probably stayed up at night thinking about those creases in the plastic on the apple two um but really Really, it's through the the coalescence of uh, of of people and uh, you know collaboration, and that's really evident in the history of Apple. Yeah, I think that's I think that's 
exactly how I view it as well, that it's um it's maybe not so much about this one particular computer as fascinating as it is but it's the it's the story that it kicks off right right the, the idea that um i think is very much at the heart of apple that technology can be approachable by anyone um and to and to do so it needs to be well designed exactly and it's very much a collective experience you know it's it's kind of funny the original logo for apple if you've ever uh looked at it you can search this this on the internet it's sort of this uh very uh old school sort of pen and ink drawing mm -hmm. of Newton sitting under an apple tree and the quote that sort of runs around that image is a mind forever voyaging through sea strange seas of thought alone which is a wordsworth quote and it's interesting because you know we think of you know uh using you know, the internet, the way that we use the internet or the technology is sort of cutting us off for the world from the world, but it also has this very uh, connected sort of approach, which sounds very simplistic, but you know, that's the power of this. And, and the Apple one is sort of very much rooted in that history. Absolutely. So what are the plans for y'all's Apple one? So it's going to be out uh, temporarily uh, on view uh, from April 11th until the end of the month. So that's April 30th. Uh, after that time, it will go away for a while. We really wanted to get it out um, to celebrate the uh, 40th anniversary of the Apple One, which is April 11th. Um, and then uh, over the next few years, we've actually been building out a large uh, communications information technology uh, exhibit that will open sometime around 2019. So it's a ways off. Um, but there are other ways for people to sort of learn about the Apple One, even though it's not on the museum floor. We do a lot of things on our television show. Uh, and, you know, I'm always writing blogs uh, when it's appropriate and sort of posting videos and things like this. So, um, but it will be on the floor permanently, eventually. <laughs> Very cool. I know just preparing for this and talking today, I've learned a lot about it. So uh, we'll have all those links for people to go to go check out and uh I guess uh, thanks so much for your time today. Yeah, no problem. So I, I listened to the interview yesterday, mm -hmm. Stephen, and the first reaction that I had, I mean, it's a very awesome interview, but the first thing I thought was, this is, sounds like a pretty awesome job, and it, and it feels like a type of career you should pursue in the future, maybe. Being a tech <laughs> museum curator, it's, I mean, it's awesome, generally awesome. This is what Stephen can do when he retires. You can go and take your IMAX, you put them in a truck somewhere, and you open up a museum of your own. It's going to be beautiful. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun to talk to Kristen. I mean, she and I really hit it off, and um, she's super passionate about not only the Apple One, but I think you can hear it in the interview, just yeah, the way that technology has evolved and the importance of understanding where we come from. And so I was super pumped to do it, super honored that they asked me, and... um I hope that people enjoyed it. So thank you to Kristen and the Henry Ford Museum. The first step towards your future career, yep. Stephen. It all started with an interview. <laughs> <laughs> that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Uh, again, yeah, thank you to, to Kristen Galliner and the Henry Ford Museum for giving their time for this week's show. Um, we really hope that you enjoyed that. Thank you, Stephen, for making that happen as well. We have links in our show notes to everything we've spoken about today over at relay.fm slash connected slash 86. Um, I just want to thank our sponsors again, lovely people over at uh, Memories and Arc for helping support this week's show. Uh, we'll be back next week, as always. You know, you, you, we'll be here. We'll be here for you. If you want to find us online between now and then, there's a few places that you can go and do that. You can head on over to 512pixels.net for Stephen's work. You can go to Mac Stories. 
Federico.net for Federico. And you can go to michaelswright.com uh, if you want to read anything that I've written. There's not many things, so it probably wouldn't take too long. Mm-hmm. You can find us all on Twitter as well. Stephen is at ISMH. Federico is at Vitici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I. And I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. We'll be back next time. Thank you so much for listening. Until then, say goodbye, guys. Arrivederci. Adios.